Welcome to the ProcureTech podcast, bringing insight and inspiration into how digital technology is shaping our profession. I'm your host, James Meads, tea drinker, expat, and definitely not your typical consultant. Yes, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech podcast. I'm your host, James Meads. And we're bringing you another insight into how digital transformation and the tools that can assist said transformation can really move your business forward, whether you're a CFO, a procurement manager, a CPO, or maybe you're just curious about how all this technology works and what it can do to improve your bottom line in your organization. Whoever you are, I hope you're in the right place and you're going to enjoy today's interview. This one is a bit of a strategy discussion with a very well-established practitioner in the automotive industry, and we're going to be tackling the topics all about how digital transformation, buying smarter, not cheaper, and how collaboration with startups can all facilitate a successful digital transformation journey and getting buy-in from the C-suite. A great topic, which I'm sure we've all struggled with at some point, is getting buy-in from the appropriate stakeholders. So I'm very excited and intrigued to what this discussion is going to bring. So it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Gisela Linger to the podcast. Gisela, welcome to the show. Thank you, James. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to this one, actually, because buying smarter rather than cheaper and also working with startups are, are two things that I am a real proponent of. So I think we're going to have a, an interesting discussion here. So your background is in strategy. So maybe before we start, if you could just give a quick background of of where you've come from and how you got into this space and how you think that benefits you, and then we can sort of dive straight in from there. Sure. Um, my pleasure to do so. So as you said, I have like two passions in my life. One is procurement and the other one is strategy. So I did my PhD in innovation economics and started with McKinsey. There, um, just by pure chance, I ended up in one of my first studies in procurement, literally hopping on a flight to Detroit during the financial crisis. And there I learned really, you know, um, how procurement, you know, impacts the bottom line of a company and how important cross-functional um, collaboration is. Because without, you know, cooperating with R&D and production, we would never have achieved the savings we did at that time. And yeah, it but from then on, it caught me, my passion for procurement. And so I did a lot of different procurement studies during my five years at McKinsey. I've been on category strategies, on benchmarking, org design, talent management, and so on. After my time at McKinsey, I also stayed with procurement, going to BMW and joining their category strategy um, department and was also leading a two-years project on redesigning the category strategies and implementing these for the entire direct spend, which was about like 30 billion euros at that time. And then comes the strategy part into it. After now a couple of years in procurement, I kind of pivoted my own career and said, okay, I have learned a lot about the bottom line. Now I want to learn more about the top line in a company. And I joined the product management 
department within BMW was there responsible for 200 million euros in after sales spend. And um, later, I, when I went back into consulting, I did not only procurement projects there, but for example, also projects with finance, controlling on how, you know, how to work with procurement, how to do target costing. And the last couple of years, I spent as the leader, the head of corporate strategy for Webasto, which is a leading automotive supplier. Before then, I decided last year to go back into consulting, and now I'm you know, my own boss as a freelance consultant. And we all know the challenges and benefits that that can bring in equal measure. So your background is very much in the automotive side as well as the strategy side. And I like that because, I mean, I the, the first few years of my career were in automotive as well, although, you know, sort of a much more junior level than at the at the start of my career. And, and the one thing that automotive is renowned for is just being a really cutthroat environment where, you know, suppliers are just bashed down to the inch of to an inch of their life. So if we're going to be talking about buying smart rather than buying cheap, I'm especially happy to be doing this with somebody that has an automotive background because if there's one industry that's renowned for not doing it, it's automotive. So if we take automotive as an example, what does buying smart mean in this regard? In this regard, for me, this is really also important for automotive is um, buying smart means just not driving down costs, but really provide add value to the company. And what do I mean with this? For example, innovations. You can have great access to um, innovations via suppliers. And especially in the automotive area, OEMs direly depend on suppliers to provide such innovations. So either it was at my time at BMW board on the or on the other side at Vivasto as an automotive supplier, you always saw that you know having long-term relationships, which include innovation contracts and so on, were beneficial for both sides. Um, another take on buying smart is you know make or buy decisions. Also very important in the automotive one because you could be very flexible on the one hand on you know, how vertical integrated you want to be, but it's also always related with CapEx decisions. So also here, procurement could bring in a great voice on, okay, what kind of suppliers are out there? Same out for footprint decisions. For example, when as an OEM or as a supplier, you decide on opening a new plant somewhere on the around the globe, making sure that your procurement department has checked up front, are there any you know, suppliers close by? Because in automotive, we have a lot of you know, this just-in-time, just-in-sequence production where you literally need the people in a 500-mile radius, um, your suppliers. And um, one last thing, I think, why it's really important, especially now for automotive, not only to you know, bash on suppliers and get your, um, get your savings, is all the technical disruptions we have there. So most of the OEMs and also many suppliers are now facing um, pivoting their own business models. So they need to reach out to new suppliers, need to, for example, work a lot more with startups, go out into this all digitization and data realm, which hasn't been their um, main you know, turf before. So there is, from my perspective, a lot to do and a lot to learn also within automotive to buy smart because you actually need this now. So when we talk about that, and 
automotive again typically is characterized by large corporations at least you know in the first tier supply base and with the oems you know once you get down to second and third tier you get sort of more smaller businesses coming into the mix but for the most part if we're talking oems and first tiers we're talking pretty large companies so from your experience in terms of the knowledge that's there within those organizations are they aware of how they can work with startups in terms of things like digitalization and and becoming more innovative? And is the knowledge there in-house or or do you find that they're still having to bring in a lot of external expertise to help them understand the, the market and the state of play? Because the examples that you give, sorry, if I had a second part to that question, uh, the examples that you gave around what buying smart is tended to be quite or very strategic, whereas a lot of the digitization and process improvement, especially when we look at procurement software providers, tends to be more in the process operational type space. Yeah, I think with digitization, and thank you, James, for the question, you always have two sides from procurement perspective. One side is the top line. So these were probably more the uh, subjects I was talking about up front. And then, of course, the bottom line on your own efficiency and like robotic automation and so on um, helps you much more on, on your own efficiency side or spent analytics, spent transparency and so on. So coming back to your question, first part of your question, I think it depends. There are companies out there who have already started uh, investing much into um, this kind, how do I collaborate with startups, mainly from an R&D perspective. I think that's the main focus, like really looking at what kind of products do I get out there? But also, at least when I did this with Webasto, for example, where I was leading as a strategy department, had also the startup collaboration, we also looked at the different functions and processes because it's sometimes much easier to collaborate with the startup not directly related to your product because there's, of course, especially in automotive, a lot of security risks, you, you, you know, and you have to be able to scale it up, but more really on processes. So, for example, what we did there is taking startups who worked on scanning your, you know, SAP and other processes for how they actually work. So you could plug in all, you know, the workflows and then they will tell you who's really, you know, complying with, complying with your um, workflows and so on. Or you can use robotic process automatization for your contracts. So stuff like something important nowadays is how are your contracts set up on payment terms? And normally these are information which are buried somewhere and on many, you know, desktop files and so on. And if you use robotic process automation, you can really read this out pretty fast. So back to your question, I think, yes, there are people and they don't need always like external ones. But of course, it depends like in general what the mindset in the company is, if it's open for and innovative and um, if they probably have already gained some experience, mainly related or maybe with R&D or in the production side with working with startups. So if I try and summarize that then from the procurement space, it's really it's really a two-pronged attack. So that on the one hand, what you're saying, if I've understood you correctly, is that procurement needs to be more open to work with smaller, more innovative startups to assist what the business is looking for from an R&D perspective. And on the other side of the coin, from a process perspective, and especially with automotive, you know, they have 
hundreds and thousands of suppliers, especially the large OEMs, they need to be a lot more effective on the more day-to-day operational process to be able to have information at your fingertips, especially now using the example of COVID and how delicate supply chains have been exposed to be with them being so internationalized that if you need to look very, very quickly into what your force majeure terms are because you've got just-in-time supply, then you need to have a tool, for example, that can do that without having a team of buyers or an army of consultants having to go through manually and look in each contract. There are a lot of examples where procurement needs to, you know, be faster and more efficient and here digitalization can help. And what I really like about it, and I mean, you um, also present a lot of these cloud solutions in your podcasts and other, you know, when you talk with other vendors and so on, is there are a lot of cloud solutions nowadays, which makes it also pretty easy to combine different solutions and also startup solutions without high costs for you on the company side. It kind of depends what a company is looking to do. And and I think more as time goes on, even the big established players will start to make their platforms more open so as innovative companies can build apps that can fit in with these big companies that are making ERP systems at an enterprise level are still to some extent quite rigid and and they rely on the more innovative startups to fill a very very niche solution to a problem that that maybe wouldn't be worth them spending the time on it because there's not a market big enough to facilitate that that level of research and development from their own overheads exactly and and i think there are a lot of great solutions out there one has to explore <laughs> but here again i think what's also important is and there comes probably more my strategic background is to make sure that you have also a digitalization strategy from procurement side, because otherwise you risk to, you know, waste a lot of money or you end up with a mosaic of many different niche solutions which do not really fit together. And I don't talk about like technology fitting, but like strategically fitting. And and especially now, again, you know, with COVID-19, most of the CFOs are not like happy to invest a lot into any CapEx-related stuff, like, and IT is one of this, of course, you have to be sure that, you know, whatever you want to achieve with your digitalization plays in line with the corporate strategy and what your CEO and CFO are thinking and, you know, are looking for. So just a quick interlude before we move on with the rest of the podcast, just to say that if you are a procurement leader or a finance leader in a manufacturing company and you're struggling to get to grips with your spend or you just maybe need an extra pair of hands to resolve a specific issue and drive some bottom line results, just drop me a connection request on LinkedIn or just ping me an email to info at jamesmeadsconsulting.com or just follow the link in the show notes to book a free 30-minute initial call with me so as I can learn more about your business and what I can do to help you. So now let's jump right back into the interview. If companies do have a digitalization strategy and part of that is working with smaller, more innovative companies or, or, or even you know partnering with, with a smaller sort of SaaS provider to provide a unique area of you know procurement technology to solve a specific problem if you've done a lot of consulting in the past in large corporations 
I guess, you know, you're familiar with the classic problem of big companies tend to have a lot of legalese and a lot of barriers to add a vendor and to become a vendor to them, you know, with some of the contractual requirements and some of the hurdles that these companies make smaller businesses jump through. So what's your experience of how companies can best overcome that to ensure that, yes, there is compliance and yes, there are controls, but you're not burdening or, or preventing small businesses from from working with the bigger boys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, unfortunately, this is still sometimes the case. So I remember once when a good friend of mine, she was responsible, you know, to get more um, startup collaboration with an IT for a big company, and she was saying, and she was from IT, and she was saying, "Gisela, uh, it's not. I cannot do this because on the one hand, they have procurement and legal saying me here are terms of conditions." And this has to be signed before you do anything. And on the other hand, I have a, like 10 people start up with a great software idea. And they look at these terms and conditions, say, if I sign this, I go bankrupt if something fails. And I mean, I'm a startup and there's some likelihood of failing. And so she said they were literally stuck for six months with no decision taken. And when I then took over this kind of role at Webasta, we made one of the first things we did together as a team was thinking together with legal and the procurement, um, how can we set up fast lane processes for it and always have legal on board. So what we decided to have like one assigned lawyer, one person from the legal department and also one person from procurement taking on this project and, you know, deciding fast processes but also always with like gates in it and always when you know first you have the proof of concept there you don't need like a big legal or procurement um you know setup around it but then after the proof of concept you have maybe pilots for a couple of use cases and always when we step more ahead along this journey then of course more legal and more procurement terms and conditions set in but by doing the stepwise we were really able to accelerate the process so that you actually come to the point where you can decide whether it makes sense now to go with all that you need from a legal perspective or whether it's, you know, it's no use because the solution itself is not what we are looking for. And this is much better than waiting or wasting like six months or so on discussing stuff where you still don't know whether this is the right solution the startup has to provide to you. Exactly. And, and I love that example of a of a fast lane process to to enable facilitation because ultimately a company lives and dies on its uh, and, and falls on its process sword sometimes and often as as buyers we're we have to blindly follow the process because if we don't you know we could get into disciplinary trouble but it's almost like well why is why is the process there you know i mean it's uh, why why are the why are the speed cameras catching you speeding in the middle of the night when there are no when when there's no traffic there and it's kind it's kind of the same argument and if you're buying oil from Nigeria that's obviously going to be a much higher risk than if you're buying some software from a 10 person startup in Munich or in London or in New York you know if, if you're in the same jurisdiction as your supplier and they're a small business you know where they're registered you can have you can have access to their sort of company accounts filing and, and they're easy. it's easier to monitor risk than, you know, why do you need all of this legislation on things like child labor and sustainability and everything that through necessity global supply chains have? But if you're, if you're working with a very small local company where the risk is obviously lower, it's almost like having a traffic light system or something like that, isn't it? To be able to 
analyze what the risk is. And and part of that, I guess, is having a legal department that can think in a flexible and pragmatic way rather than just waving their process shield around every time you want to do something. And here I think it comes also good if you have smart buyers, if you're already on this journey more on the up to the smart and not only the cheap level, then procurement can even step in as a good, you know, mediator between the legal department and, for example, the R&D stakeholder who wants to, you know, desperately wants to work with a startup. On the one hand, as procurement, you understand your stakeholder and his needs, but you also have, as you just explained, or, you know, you do know all the compliance issues and can be able to maybe translate between, you know, the stakeholder and the legal department. And of course, it helps a lot if you have a legal department who is like, you know, not willing to go in risk, but, you know, who understands, okay, it's about, at the end, about doing business, not about avoiding doing business. But for them, it was always, as I said, important that we had these gatekeeping in between. So every time when we reached another milestone where it would, you know, the extended more like, rolling out from a pile, you know, coming from a pile into a rollout, of course, then I need more, be more stringent. But by having these gateways, the legal department also starts trusting you that, you know, you just don't end up from one day to the other day with a, you know, with a legal nightwear, but that's a, a controlled process too. Yeah. And I mean, of, of course, they have to do their job as well. And if they don't have any control, then it's it ultimately lands on their shoulders if, if there is trouble. So, you know, I understand why they have to seek problems rather than solutions sometimes. But at the same time, especially if they're in-house legal, you would expect that they would have some part of their objective setting being working for the greater good of the business and facilitating that to happen rather than just yeah. putting up blocks. So, I mean, from your experience, has it tended to depend on individual people or have you managed to have processes in place to say, if this, then that? I think it's, of course, helpful if you have individual people with the right mindset. And I think I said couple of <laughs> questions ago where you ask about how far along are the companies you've worked with with when it comes to startup collaboration. It has to do with an open mindset within the company across the functions. Whether you want to collaborate with startups or whether you want to do new work or digitization, it does not work if just the top management says do it. It has to be you know, felt and supported by, by all functions and legal being one important of it. So Yes, it helps if you have an open-minded individual, but the most important thing is that having a closed mind is not accepted in the culture. <laughs> then it goes easier, and then you have these processes if like this and that. And what we actually ended up, of course, writing these processes down, especially with these gateways and so on, so that to make sure that there is a clear if this is happening, then you do that. And this has also helped not only the buyers, but also a lot of the stakeholders, because what, you know, what happens nowadays is people meet, of course, not today, normally on these, you know, fairs and so on, and, or meetups with startups. Now these take place virtually, but what um, you have to also ensure these people who interact with the startups that they have some legal background and that they also know, you know, what's to do. So for them, it was not only important for legal to have a clear, if this happens, you do that, but also for the stakeholders and the buyers to be always in a safe place from a legal perspective. 
And of course, there are software tools now, you know, on the subject of the podcast around technology, there is software out there that can evaluate the risk of doing business with with a certain supplier. And while most of these software tools are geared towards manufacturing businesses or, or, or manufacturing supply chains, by deploying that software and using that logic that that these software tools can use, you can also use that as a as a as a case in your argument when you are having that discussion with legal to say, I guess, do we really need this sort of standard set of T's and C's or or, or can we flex the rules a little bit to facilitate more innovation? I mean it's uh, it's using it's using technology to prove a point, which goes back to the the thing I talk all about about all the time is that having data-driven arguments and being able to build a convincing, powerful argument based on facts rather than just feelings or we've always done it this way. Exactly. So my final question, Gisela, before we go, um, if there's one thing that you could recommend to anyone out there that's struggling to get the business to buy into using digital technology or working with smaller companies to facilitate innovation, uh, what would that tip be? Because I know there are people out there that are pulling their hair out with this. So for someone who has a lot of experience in this field, it would be great to get this as a final insight. Uh, probably it's several things. First thing is top management buy-in. So if you find, it doesn't have to be the entire board, but if you find, for example, the COO or the CIO or, or, or the CPO, like saying, okay, I want this and I believe in this and this is the mindset we should have, this is really important. And like it, having such a role model, um, celebrate is one important thing. Second thing is celebrate your successes. <laughs> So if you finally, you know, have made it, um, have a contract made, have a pilot made, celebrate it and communicate it. And I think that's something where we are not so good at procurement. We fight a long time until we have a contract done and then kind of forget that it's, it's really good to celebrate this and communicate, communicate your success. And the third thing I found really important is not to do it, and this is true for many initiatives, not to do it like um, from a silo out of the headquarters, but try to find people who are really affected by this uh, in the functions, in the divisions, in the business units, in the regions to support you and to drive this activity by their own. So, for example, when, when we did the startup collaboration, we, we only had like, it was in my team, like one person full-time doing this and pulling off a lot of pilots and so on because he was mainly coordinating other people in the divisions who had a really big interest in getting work to go to work with these startups and then you really drive you know you then you get the business drive the business demand doing this and this helps you a lot also um, to get this done so if you're listening to this that is two and a half minutes of solid gold advice for anyone that's struggling to get the bit to get the business to buy in there thank you very much for that i think you've uh, you've saved a lot of people from going crazy if anyone would like to connect with you or learn more about what you do, which is the best way for them to connect with you? Uh, I think the easiest way to connect with me personally is LinkedIn. So um, just hop on my profile, send me a message uh, or contact. Um, that's great. And then, of course, there's also my um, homepage, which is www.strategymeetsreality.com. But LinkedIn is always fine and easiest way to go. I love that URL. It does exactly what it says on the tin, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
Okay, thanks for spending half an hour with me today, Gisela. It's been an absolute pleasure. Keep in touch, look after yourself, and good luck. All the best. Thank you. Good luck to you too. And thank you for having me. <laughs> pleasure. Thank you. So for anyone who's struggling to get stakeholders on board or to make their processes that little bit easier to facilitate digitization and working with more innovative companies, I really hope that interview with Gisela has helped you to understand that actually you can control more than you maybe think you can. And it's really just a case of using soft skills to get the people on board as best you possibly can. Sure, it won't always succeed, but you never know until you try. And there are certain levers that you can pull to increase the possibility of it working. So that's all that we've got for you today. Big thanks for listening. Catch you again next week. And until then, take care, stay safe, all the best and speak to you soon. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the ProcureTech podcast. If you like the show, then please subscribe or even better, why not write us a quick review on Apple Podcasts? It would not only really make my day, but it would also help our mission to enable procurement and finance leaders to become more data-driven through the power of digital transformation.